Good morning. It's good to see all of you, and I invite you to stand together as we hear the scripture read this morning. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And our second reading is from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Before you sit down, let us pray together. God, we thank you for your word, your word that has stood the test of time, for generations of believers before us, for the church in all times and places. We know that even though things feel like they change a lot, that your word is constant, that your truth is constant, and that your desires for people are constant. And so in your desire for us to know you and follow you, may the spirit work in us to do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today, we are embarking on a four-week exploration of the theme of transformation. I will not be talking about dragons today. Just as a caveat, we'll get to that in a few weeks. So don't be disappointed. I'm just going to say that right out there. But when you think of the word transformation, I want you to think of the word metamorphosis, a caterpillar to a chrysalis to a butterfly. And together, we'll be looking at how Jesus transformed people in the past and how Jesus still works through the Holy Spirit to transform us now. Because, truly, all of us, me too, all of us need transformation, continual transformation. This is a lifelong journey. And because of this, the story of transform stories and story of transformation is something that we're really drawn to as human beings. Why else has The Biggest Loser run for 18 seasons and 248 episodes? Is it because we really enjoy watching people be miserable? No, it's because we love the idea of transformation. We love Cinderella stories. And we hope for ourselves to be transformed in some way. I mean, this is why we buy self-help books. This is why we go on diets or join the gym. We want to be transformed. 
And these stories of transformation hold within them a biblical truth. And the truth is this. All of humanity needs to be changed. We are not okay as we are. And as Christians, the primary part of following Jesus is growing and maturing. Transformation. Now, sometimes this is, this is hard to receive because some of us might think primarily of being a Christian as belief in Jesus so that you have your ticket, so when you get to heaven, you're let in, right? And, and then you're worry-free. You can go about and live life. You just have to grit your teeth through it and make it there, and then the end is heaven, yay. And I want to affirm that Jesus promises eternal life to believers, but right now, being a Christian is about following Jesus now. It's about transformation now. But as we witness with our friends on The Biggest Loser, transformation is pretty tough. And so it's easy to just focus on how Jesus has saved us from hell, and then we can look outside ourselves to other people's stories of transformation. We love these stories, right? We see it in movies. We read about it in fiction. One of my favorite stories of transformation from a Christian perspective is C.S. Lewis' children's novel, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. At the beginning of the book, Lewis describes the character Eustace. I would encourage you, especially if you're already reading Colossians, to also read The Voyage of the Dawn Treader this month or listen to it with an audiobook. So, as we begin, we're going to begin following the story of Eustace, and I've asked our, our British friend and newer member, Jonathan Davies, to do the honor of reading C.S. Lewis to us. He'll start right at the beginning of the book. Good morning. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub. He almost deserved it. His parents called him Eustace Clarence, and his schoolmasters called him Scrub. I can't tell you how his friends spoke of him, for he had none. He didn't call his father and mother father and mother, but Harold and Alberta. They were very up-to-date and advanced people. They were vegetarians, non-smokers, teetotalers, and wore a special kind of underclothes. In their house, there was very little furniture and very few clothes on the beds, and the windows were always open. Eustace Clarence liked animals, especially beetles, if they were dead and pinned on a cart. He liked books if there were books of information and had pictures of grain elevators or of fat foreign children doing exercises in model schools. Eustace Clarence disliked his cousins, the poor Pervensis, the poor Pervensis, uh, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. But he was quite glad when he heard that Edmund and Lucy were coming to stay, for deep down inside, he liked bossing and bullying. And though he was a puny little person who couldn't have stood up even to Lucy, let alone Edmund, in a fight, he knew that there were dozens of ways to give people a bad time if you are in your own home and they are 
Thank you for introducing us to Eustace. That description is fun, isn't it? Sort of the before picture. Just a few pages after this description, Eustace begins a journey, not because he wants to. The power of the lion Aslan transports his cousins and him by proxy into the world of Narnia, onto a boat, the Dawn Treader. And Eustace, a land-loving, blubbering, whiny face, and I can call him that because he is a pretend person, is faced with challenges he is unprepared for, challenges that will require transformation to be overcome. And we'll hear more about Eustace and his story in the weeks to come. And even though this description is colorful, and Eustace is an unfortunate name, all of us have Eustace-like moments of complaint and criticism of general, general horribleness and selfishness. We, like Eustace, know the dozens of ways to give people a bad time in our own home. All of us need transformation in some way. But even if we think about the stories of transformation I've, I've mentioned, that we can see on TV or in stories, they all have a dark side. I mean, what happens to Cinderella when Prince Charming starts traveling 20 days each month to, a, to broker peace with the surrounding kingdoms? What happens to the winner of The Biggest Loser when he doesn't have the money for a personal trainer anymore? Or when his friends tease him for refusing a piece of sheet cake? I mean, transformation, long-term, ongoing transformation is really hard. But wait, what makes it even harder is that we live with this modern idea that we belong to ourselves, and that we are responsible for making ourselves. This is really important. I mean, so I'm going to say it again. We are bombarded, it's sort of like in the air we breathe, with this idea that we belong to ourselves and that we are responsible for making ourselves, for looking within and discovering who we are, for transforming ourselves by ourselves. You belong to yourself, we hear you have to discover and express yourself. And this becomes humanity's main job, to figure out who each of us is within and then become transformed into that person. And that is the modern task. But truthfully, it is never ending and it is ultimately impossible. We cannot do it. We cannot transform ourselves from within ourselves. But scripture speaks into this need. It tells us, who God wants us to become. Here's one place that's pretty clear in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's my job and Pastor Larson, Pastor Simons, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We are called to be transformed to maturity, to the full stature of Christ. Being like Jesus, being transformed to have the character of Christ is the Christian goal. That's what God wants for us, to be mature like Christ. I mean, good parents want their children to grow into fully mature adults. 
right? And our God, our good Father who art in heaven, wants the same for us. Transformation into spiritual maturity is both possible and desirable. And and we don't have to decide what this looks like. We don't have to decide. That's not something we have to look within and decide. No, that should be a weight off our shoulders. Jesus gets to decide. Our call to transformation and maturity is to the full measure of the stature of Christ. That can be a relief to us. So let's look at our uh, gospel text this morning. In Mark, Jesus is just starting his ministry. And as a rabbi, a teacher, he would have apprentices, which we usually call disciples, but sometimes it's helpful to think of them as apprentices. And so he goes out choosing some. Now, I'm guessing these guys had heard Jesus teach, maybe that even had individual conversations with him. And Jesus sees Simon Peter and his brother Andrew throwing their nets into the Sea of Galilee. James and John are probably on the same beachfront, mending their nets. They're working with their father Zebedee. Maybe their fishery is called Zebedee and Sons. It's big enough to have hired help. And Jesus calls these guys. This is the literal translation of the Greek, what he says. Come behind or come after me and I will make you to become fishers of people. I wonder how these guys felt hearing Jesus call them. The Gospels don't say. But somehow, these brothers knew about Jesus and decided immediately to follow after him. James and John are leaving their inheritance, you know. That was their plan A, B, C, and D. Instead, they followed Jesus. They submit their livelihoods. They submit their identities as fishers for fish. They submit their economic security, their place in the community. Bye, hired men. So long, Dad. We're off with Jesus from Nazareth. We're going to fish for people. Good branding, but what does it mean? And it takes the rest of the gospel to see what Jesus is talking about. Jesus teaches his apprentices with words and with actions. And it takes a while for them to become fishers for people. They don't actually do it that much, it seems, until Jesus has ascended into the heavenly realm and they're all filled with the Spirit. But I don't actually want to focus so much on the fishers of people part, even though that's important. Today I'm going to focus on what Jesus says in the first part of the sentence. Come after or behind me, and I will make you to become. This is a promise Jesus is making to his new apprentices. Come after or behind me. When they go after Jesus, Jesus makes them. They have to follow behind, but Jesus does the work. I will make you to become. This is transformation, and this is the work of Jesus, but we are called in this to submit ourselves to follow him to go after him, to go behind. Transformation takes submission. Now, submission is kind of a dirty word these days. It can have a lot of baggage. It can bring up connotations of abuse of power, a tyrant or a power-hungry leader insisting that a subject submit to him. But submit is a word in Scripture. We're told to submit to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submission means to subordinate yourself, to obey, to relinquish one's control, and to yield to another's admonition or advice. 
submission of oneself is, in essence, the very opposite of the idea that we belong to ourselves and are responsible for making ourselves. Now, I know sometimes talk about submission can sound jarring. It's, it's very un-American. But let me encourage you. You already submit. You submit all the time. You just might not call it that. Every time you drive, you submit yourself, hopefully, to the rules of the road. You submit to the authority of the stop sign. When you take medicine, you submit yourself to the work of pharmacists or vitamin makers. Whenever we want change, whenever we want transformation, it requires a special kind of submission in which we trust someone who knows more than us in a certain area to transform us. Here's another example, orthodontia. If you want straight teeth, if you want a transformed smile, you submit yourself to braces, or maybe your children submitted themselves to braces. And it hurts sometimes, it feels weird. But you do it because you know, actually you trust, that the pain is worth it for a sparkling smile and a healthy bite. And then, even after braces, maybe you submit yourself to a nighttime retainer. And if you lose that retainer and decide not to replace it, your teeth will slowly start moving back. My dental hygienist says, teeth have memory. Transformation takes submission. In grad school, I lived around the corner from Suki's. It was an upscale salon and advanced hair academy. And I would get my hair cut there as a model for the academy. I think it cost $10 Canadian. And I will tell you, I had some pretty amazing haircuts. But to get these haircuts, I had to submit myself to the whims of the instructor. What I got was always a surprise. I never chose. I tell my friends about it when they'd ask, and these awesome $10 haircuts and they'd go once, but usually it was just too weird for them because you had to submit your hair to the design. Transformation takes submission. And so Jesus says, come behind me, and I will make you to become. And following Jesus isn't simply following in your mind. It would be ridiculous to tell the orthodontist, that idea of me with straight teeth sounds great. You have to let them put the braces on you. Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John get out of the boat and walk behind Jesus so that he can make them into fishers for people. They can't just follow Jesus in their mind and stay in the boat with dad. They have to get out as this painting shows. They have to get out and actively follow. It takes their whole self but as they walk after Jesus, what happens? Well, first, they just get stronger, walking everywhere on foot, miles and miles. But more than that, they are walking with God himself. They are talking with God himself. I don't, I don't think they recognized this for a while, but that's what was happening. And even though we're living 2,000 years later, we can still follow Jesus. We can still listen to his words in the Gospels. And the word that Jesus read and memorized in the Old Testament. But we also follow him physically, getting out of the boat. We follow him physically into his death and resurrection. I mean, that's what baptism is. If you have been baptized, you have physically gone behind Jesus. Your old self has drowned 
in the waters of baptism and you have been lifted out of death into new life in Christ. Jesus has been raised and you have been raised with him. So Paul writes, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. And this is the Christian identity that Paul is writing to, about to the small church in the average town of Colossae. And he's telling them that Christ is all they need. It's in this Christ that this church is to find their identity. If you've been following along in the Colossians Bible study, you might remember how it describes Jesus in chapter 1, one of my favorite passages in scripture. Jesus is the firstborn of creation. Through him, all things in the earthly and heavenly realms were created. He's before. That's why we have to follow after. He's the beginning. He leads the resurrection parade, as Eugene Peterson translates. So Paul writes, put your mind up there with Christ. Put your thoughts with him ahead. And he doesn't only lead us through death and resurrection. He leads us into glory. And this is transformation far beyond what we can even imagine. And through Christ, we can do this because we are in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, Paul writes. Sometimes we might think or talk about how Christ is in us, which is true. And this is in scripture, but much more frequently is it written about how we are in Christ which requires a much bigger Christ and a much smaller us. And it's in Christ that we experience transformation, not into who we want to be, but into who Jesus invites us to become. And all of us are called to be transformed in Christ, to submit to Christ's call when he says, come after me and I will make you to become. Jesus calls Jesus makes us to become who he wants us to be, transformation, metamorphosis. Now, maybe some of you have read the very important science book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, in which the caterpillar eats his or her way through many, many leaves and a variety of junk foods and other fruits and vegetables in a sausage. I've always been curious where he found that. And then finally, one giant leaf, and then it's, the, the science is questionable here. It says that he makes a cocoon. Really, it's a chrysalis. Only to emerge, though, as a beautiful butterfly. Now, here's my question. Does the caterpillar transform himself? Not, not really, not cognitively, but he does prepare for this transformation by eating, mostly eating leaves, which is a healthy diet for any caterpillar, and then in the chrysalis, there's this moment where the caterpillar looks almost dead, like a little green coffin hanging from a branch. But then the wings become visible through the transparent chrysalis, and suddenly the butterfly appears from death to life, and much more beautiful life than before, 
glorious even. And this is the ultimate hope Paul is offering that little church in Colossae. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This isn't just self-improvement. This is a promise of glory. And I, I don't even know what glory looks like. I can't explain it to you. I'm not there yet. But our little stories of Cinderella's, the winners of The Biggest Loser, who looks so good and strong, I mean, I, we hold on to these stories because they're little hints of glory. The butterfly, this is a little hint of glory, at least as much as we can understand it. But to experience this, we have to obey. We have to follow after Jesus, and this is our submission. Through the Holy Spirit, God can and will transform all who open their hearts to him. God is not limited. Remember that. God is not limited. He doesn't run out of time or emotional bandwidth. You are never too old or too sinful or too selfish to be transformed. Jesus can and will transform you. You just have to submit to his work. And the good news is, is you can start today. You can start putting yourself in the way of transformation by eating, not lunch or a leaf or kale, even though that's good for you, but by reading scripture. Sometimes scripture itself talks about engagement with it as eating. Numerous times throughout the biblical narrative, a character is presented with instructions to eat a book given to them by God. When you eat something delicious, you ruminate on it. You ponder it. You allow it to change you. So prepare for transformation. Prepare for metamorphosis by eating scripture. This is the voice of God. The same voice the disciples heard as they followed after Jesus. This is one way we submit to Jesus now as we wait for him to be revealed in glory. Practically, several ways you can do this is through the Read Scripture app. That can help for people who like to use their phones or by joining a Bible study group where other people help hold you accountable. And so you get to read scripture together. Reading scripture together is very important. I know that this can sound trite sometimes. I went to church and the pastor said to read the Bible. But I know some stories of transformation deeply. I know my own story of ongoing transformation. <laughs> it's, still, it's still in progress. And I know the story of my husband's transformation. And, and both of our stories, which are very different, begin with a deeper engagement in scripture. Even the parts we don't like that offend our contemporary sensibilities, even the parts we don't understand. We submit ourselves to God's word and God nourishes us toward transformation. Submission to scripture, submission to God's word in scripture is a necessary ingredient to transformation. But it is not scripture alone. I don't have a slide for this one. But God also transforms us through the body of Jesus, the church. Reading scripture and being part of church go hand in hand. God uses them both. We have to remember that God speaks through the scripture but it was through the church that scripture came out, right? So they are interwoven. They are not independent of one another. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are called to be part of Jesus' body, the church. And this is why physical presence, 
physical participation, we'll talk more about this next week, and joining together in God's work is one way we submit to Jesus. And through this, God transforms us. This is why it's important that we worship together, why we participate by serving, by building authentic relationships. Because God uses the church and scripture to transform us. You can't have one without the other. I know it's not easy. Sometimes it's just easier to go in a closet and read your Bible by yourself. This is sometimes a kind of a tough leaf to chew. But it's only through submission to Christ's work in the church that Jesus will transform us. Transformation takes submission. So here's my question for us today. Are you ready to follow after Jesus and allow him to make you to become who he wants you to be? Are you ready to enter this new world of transformation with these fishermen 2,000 years ago? Are you ready to join with C.S. Lewis' imaginary and annoying and sometimes entertaining character Edmund as he experiences transformation? Will you join me in submitting to Jesus? Come after me, Jesus says, and I will make you to become. Let's pray together. Jesus, you know each of us better than ourselves. Scripture tells us that it is you, our God, who knits us together in our mother's womb. Every hair on our head is numbered by you. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you have hope for us that we do not even know. Your holy imagination can imagine us so better than we are, better than we can imagine ourselves, in character that looks like Christ. So in this quiet moment, by your spirit, would you speak to our church today? My friends, in this moment of silence, I invite you to open your hands. You can just open them on your lap. And ask Jesus how you can submit to him this week. How can you follow after Jesus? How does Jesus want to transform you? God, I pray a blessing on our church, the people, the men and women and students and children who have come here today to hear your voice, to follow you. Would you change us? Would you transform us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.